You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. morning. Great to be with you guys. Man, I love being here at North Valley. This is uh, just a sweet opportunity uh, for me to be uh, serve you as this lead pastor here at this church. I love you guys tremendously, love worshiping with you, and Harkins has been great. I mean, it, you know, it's a season and a time, and we're about to move out of here um, to go to our permanent home, and so this Sunday and then next Sunday is it. So let's celebrate that, yeah. I'm so proud of so many of you guys and gals just for your uh, work in this series, uh, working on your marriage. Uh, I know it's not easy, uh, but God's going to use it to grow you. Uh, I hope that for as a single, it helps you kind of reshape a biblical paradigm of what it looks like uh, to love your spouse. Um, over the next uh, couple of weeks, you've seen uh, that we've been prepping and doing a lot of work on our campus. We're getting ready for that. Um, there's been a lot of work that's been going on. We've, you might have seen some of our A-frame signs are out uh, promoting Easter. I want to encourage you to help get the word out in a personal invitation. Uh, text a friend. Uh, maybe today uh, would be a great opportunity for you to invite folks uh, to our Easter service, friends and family. Let's help get our community connected to a local church family. How about that? Uh, that's important to help help. You can help be a witness by simply sharing what you've seen God do in, in this church uh, in your life, uh, share what God's doing. And um, next week, we're going to wrap up the Love and Marriage series. So I want to encourage you uh, as, as we uh, move forward in this, uh, maybe take a moment to kind of look back over the series. I want to refresh you on kind of the ground that we've covered uh, over the last 10 weeks or so. We looked at uh, the beginning of the relationship with Solomon and his bride in the art of attraction. Uh, great opportunity for you to remember, uh, you know, what, what, what to look for in a spouse is godly character. Uh, for a future mate is godly character. A person that uh, loves Jesus Christ, a person that uh, is committed uh, to grow personally. The art of attraction, we looked at the art of dating. We looked at the art of engagement. We looked at the art of marriage. We looked at the art of intimacy. We looked at the art of love and the art of conflict and... Uh, so that was so important. Uh, God saw it that 25% of this book would be written about conflict and conflict resolution. In week eight, we talked about the art of res- resolution and then art of romance, the art of deepening. And then next week, we're going to look at the art of faithfulness. Um, this morning, what I want to do is draw your attention to the art of deepening. And, you know, when you're first married, I heard this story recently, the first year of marriage, a young wife got sick and her husband goes and gets some medicine, gives her a blanket, and a, a, she had a fever and a little wet rag. He placed it over her head, and uh, he said a prayer for her, and he said, Oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry you're sick. Is there anything I can get for you? First year of marriage. By the fifth year of marriage, the same husband and the same wife, uh, the husband gets a text that his wife is sick, and she says, Hey, will you pick me up some med- medicine uh, from CVS? I've got a cold and a fever. So he swings by and gets some, some uh, cold uh, medicine and uh, walks in the door and the kids are going crazy. And uh, he says, oh, hey, baby, I'm sorry. You feel bad, but what's for dinner? The kids are going crazy. And she's like, I'm sick and I'm on the couch. Uh, 
by the eighth year of marriage, she gets sick and he comes home and he finds her again laying on the couch and and now she's got a fever and the kids have now gutted the house. They've run around going crazy, wearing a diaper. One's wearing a diaper, the other one's not wearing anything at all, chasing a kid with a water gun. And uh, the husband comes home and he panics because the house looks like a, a war zone. And she's coughing and he says to her, would you cover that mouth of yours? You're going to get everybody sick in this house. Uh, that's not the way we want our marriages to look over time. Uh, what can happen in the reality of a relationship is that you can become kind of boringly familiar with the other person and you can drift from being a lover to being a roommate. And if you don't take intentional efforts to safeguard your marriage and say, how are we going to deepen our marriage relationship over the years, you will drift into uh, emotional isolation and you'll become nothing more than a roommate to each other. Um, the biblical paradigm for marriage is that it should get better over time. In fact, uh, Solomon and his bride uh, likened their relationship to wine. That as, as it sits and as it settles, it gets better and better over time. And so as we look at the biblical paradigm for marriage this morning, what we're going to be looking at is how to deepen the marriage. We're going to be looking at seven characteristics of a deepening relationship in the context of marriage. In Song of Songs chapter 8, we're going to see the very beginning where she starts to speak up. She speaks up and she sees herself. She's reflecting uh, about their relationship. And now they've not only been married, uh, they've gone through their first fight, they've gone through the resolution of it, they've um, talked about the intimacy that they have in their marriage, and now years have gone by, and she's going to describe her unending love and affection for her man. She says this in a very interesting manner. She expresses this. Uh, she says in verse 1, If only you were to me like a brother who has nursed at my mother's breast, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you. Let me stop right there. Basically, what was going on in that day and time, it was uh, public displays of affection were a little bit inappropriate between a husband and a wife. But it was completely okay for um, maybe a mother and her son or a sister and a uh, uh, brother to express some level of public display of affection. She says, if you were like, uh, if I was like your mother or if I was like your sister, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. Nobody would get on to her if she was to express her affection in public. She says in verse two, I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house. She who has taught me, I'd give you spiced wine and drink the nectar of, pome of my pomegranates. And then she expresses his response. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. You know what she does? She pursues him. She pursues him. If we're going to have a deepening love, the first characteristic is deepening love always pursues. It's not just the husband pursues, but the wife pursues. It's an active, intentional effort to make sure that uh, we are pursuing one another. We're not drifting apart, but we're being really intentional to pursue one another. The Bible says is that we're to pursue one another by doing this. In Philippians 2, 4, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
You take into account what interests your spouse and you pursue one another based on that interest. For my wife, uh, she's excited about all sorts. She's a, what we call a foodie. She loves the different kinds of food. We watch the Food Network. Um, we also watch HGTV all the time. So those are the things that interest her. So guess where I'm at oftentimes when it comes to watching television? We're watching that stuff. And then she's always got ideas about the home and how to decorate and how to do all that. And when it comes to food, she loves to uh, shop and find the greatest foods and make the greatest uh, meals. Uh, so this last week, um, you guys might have heard, but um, we had a grand opening here in the community. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a grand opening at a store before. You know, in Scottsdale, they do these big grand openings in different other parts of the, our valley. You, you'll get an Apple store and hundreds, if not thousands of people will show up at the grand opening of Apple, you know, of this store. Uh, maybe an electronic store or something. But here in the North Valley, you know, we got all excited about this grand opening of Fry's Marketplace. You know, I'm standing in the line on Friday morning at 6.40, and there's several hundred people lined up to go in there. And uh, I'm like, only in the North Valley would people line up for a grand opening Fry's Marketplace. Uh, I was there. I was there. Uh, in fact, I went twice uh, because my daughter wanted to go in the morning. I, every Friday morning, I'll take one of my kids out on a date. And so it was Riley's turn. And I said, where do you want to go? And she's like her mother. She's like, let's go to Fry's Marketplace. I'm like, all right, let's do that. We were the first 200, got a little $10 gift card and had a blast. Then later in that afternoon, I came back with Leslie because she likes to go do that kind of thing. It would, definitely wouldn't be my choice of where to go spend uh, my day off is in a marketplace. Uh, but for her, it was important. It was fun. If we're going to deepen love, we've got to pursue one another looking at the other person's interest. Let me ask you a question. What interests does the one you love have? What do they care about? What kind of hobbies do they have? Or what are they interested in? You know, it's really important that you, you cultivate an other's mindset. The more you actually will focus on yourself, the less you'll find joy, peace, and happiness. Uh, what God's designed it is that we always look out, and when we see other people's interests, then we can pursue them that kind of way. That's exactly what happened with uh, Solomon's uh, bride is that she knew he loved physical affection and he, she gave uh, intentional affection towards her man. First thing that we're going to learn is, is to deepen love is we've got to pursue each other. Um, what that looks like is that you date one another, even in the marriage. You date one another constantly. You ask, you, you ask the question, um, what's interesting to, uh, these days to you? You might get in trouble because she might say, you should know that. Uh, but the reality is, is that we can forget about all the different things uh, that interest one another. The second characteristic we're going to learn this morning is deepening love is pure. Um, in verse 4, they say this phrase that's been mentioned uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, in chapter 3, verse 5. And again here, is he, they, uh, she says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Purity is what the, this deepening love is going to require, that you seek a level of purity in your relationship. Purity is incredibly important. It's a purity of mind, a purity of heart, a, pur uh, uh, a purity of action. And what can stain our purity is sexual immorality or emotional fantasies or whatnot. 
I want to read to you some startling statistics about pornography. And I bring this up because it's a real deal. Um, uh, on our phones, we have every sort of access to the entire world around us. I want to read to you some statistics about pornography. It's likely one of the greatest threats to any person, uh, their, uh, their moral purity. Perhaps in this generation, this is one of the vices, one of the sins, one of the challenges that will deteriorate our human relationships with other people the most. Let me read to you some of these statistics. 40% of all internet viewers, uh, uh, users, so any, 40% of anybody that's using the internet has viewed porn or is uh, watching pornography. Over $60 billion in revenue worldwide has been spent on porn in the uh, last few years. $60 billion of revenue worldwide um, on porn. And it's interesting, $12 billion of those dollars is in the United States alone. That's more revenue than what you get in professional sports like basketball, baseball, football combined. The porn industry is bigger than the NFL, the NHL, the Major League Baseballs, uh, Major League Basketball, all that combined. Pornography industry is bigger than all of those combined. The porn industry makes more money than any other major media outlet, ABC, CBS, NBC combined. Um, and more than 70% of men, 18 to 34, visit a porn site every single month. This is a war on purity. There is a war on purity, and it will deteriorate any level of intimacy that God intends for you in your relationships. If you're single and you're viewing pornography, Bible says is that's sexual immorality. Bible says that when you look lustfully after another person, it's like committing adultery. Jesus isn't just concerned about what you do with your hands. He's concerned about what you're doing in, inside of you. He wants the best for you. He promises to cleanse you and heal you and help you. But you've got to do something too. You've got to take action steps. If you're going to deepen your marriage relationship, the Song of Songs is teaching us that purity is at stake. You've got to safeguard. You've got to protect You've got to deepen the love in a level of purity. Kids are also at risk. 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have viewed pornography. The average first-time exposure for pornography is 11 years old. The largest consumer of pornography are boys that are 12 to 17 years old. Parents, we've got to do something. We can't do it. We, we, you know, most parents will have good intentions, but good intentions aren't good enough. We need to be strategic and take action. I want to encourage you to do whatever you can, not only for, for yourself, but also for your whole family and to safeguard yourself to maintain a level of purity in your household when it comes to pornography. Research shows that adolescents who view porn will likely have sex by the age of 14 years old. So um, my encouragement to you is to remain pure. How do, you, how do you do that? Let me answer that question from a biblical perspective. The first step is that you abstain. You need to abstain. Jesus said uh, that you need to, if your eye causes you sin, gouge it out. You need to stop what you're doing. You need to remove yourself. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, abstain from every form of evil. Um. You need to abstain. You need to not do something. 
you need to stop doing whatever you're doing that leads to some level of impurity. If it's an impure thought process, pattern that's going on, um, this will jeopardize the love that God intends for you to experience in the context of marriage. You're to safeguard your safe, you safeguard your soul and your relationship. You need peace in your soul. You need a peace in your relationships. And to abstain is to, to, to watch out and to stay away from. But there's greater hope. You say, I don't have the strength to abstain. I don't have the, I've fallen into an addictive pattern, so what can I do? You must never forget that you can abide in Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. There is powerful growth, spiritual growth that happens when you abide in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have people come to me all the time and ask me, how do I get over this addiction? How do I do this? And I tell them these two things. You must abstain from whatever it is that's dragging you down. You got to do that. You got to safeguard yourself and set up safety parameters if it's uh, anything. Whatever hurt, habit, hang up you got, you've got to abstain from those things that are harmful towards you and take active steps, be intentional to do that. But you must never forget the real power comes in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. You're talking about the CEO of the universe. You're talking about the one who formed and fashioned you. Do you think he wants you to live in impurity and immorality? He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to live with a great sense of grace of God upon your life, that there's a level of purity of thought and action upon everything you do. And the Bible says, Jesus spoke up and he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see the kingdom of God. When you walk in a level of purity, you see things in the spiritual that are blessing and, and opportunities. Your heart's freed up from distractions and, and you're enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live at a level in your relationship with God and with other people that brings joy and freedom and peace and love. But when you distort and fill your mind with things that are impure, you'll walk in a level of disappointment and discouragement that God doesn't intend for you. If we're going to deepen our relationships, specifically in the context of marriage here, is that we must deepen our love is pure. She reflects now that we see in verse 5, and she reflects and says, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I roused you, she says. There your mother conceived you, there who was in labor and gave you birth. She specifically refers to this apple tree as a literal tree, I believe, uh, that was important in their context of dating. And that they spent time at this location. It would have been a special place, a birthplace that would have marked uh, um, Solomon's uh, life. And it was a special spot for him and for her. But it also has symbolic meaning. In um, this time frame, the apple tree represented fertility. She wants to go to this special location and express her love and commitment to her man. She says that uh, she realizes that this is a personalized uh, place for them. I can remember for Leslie and I back in Little Rock, Arkansas, we had this special place on the bank of the Arkansas River where we would go and we would spend time on this massive oak tree right alongside the river. 
and I would lay out a picnic blanket you know, during our dating years in the, uh, when we had, took, had a break from the college uh, semesters and whatnot, and we would go and we would talk and we would share, we would have food together, we'd have fun together. Uh, we invited our bunch of, a bunch of our friends down there, and we would even swim in the Arkansas River, which I look back and say, that was the dumbest thing in the world. That river is powerful and could kill you. Uh, but we had a blast, and that tree will be a special place for me and for my wife forever. Um, we all have special places that we um, have, and we uh, form as memories in our mind that we hold on to. I think that when you face the end of your life and you're laying on your bed and you're about to sit, have your last breath, there are memories that will flood your mind of special locations and special places. And you have those even now. And what I want to encourage you to do, what we see here in the pattern of Scripture, is that deepening love is incredibly personal. You need to personalize your love and show your love in a very personal way, and that's exactly what she's done. She wants to pursue him, and she wants to keep it really personal. If you're going to deepen the love of your life, you've got to be incredibly personal. The Bible says is that God was personal in making us. Look what it says in Psalms 139. The psalmist cries out in a, in a praise to the Lord, and he says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. There's a, a book written called The Five Love Languages. God's personally formed and fashioned you, and the way you experience love is personal to you. The five love languages are this, gifts, Service, touch, words, and time. I want you to circle whatever way that you experience love the most. Maybe for you, it's gifts. Gifts are something that somebody can give you and you just feel like, man, this person's thought about me. And you can look at that gift and hold that gift and say, I can't believe that person thought about me. Oftentimes, if, uh, if I'm to give my wife something, even if it doesn't cost a whole lot, she knows that that gift is a sense of value because it means something to her because I thought about her. Some of you experience love uh, through gifts, and it's important if we're going to pursue one another to realize how to pursue one another by looking at the other person's interests and to be incredibly intentional to serve them in that way. The other one is service. Service looks like just being together and working together. If it's uh, helping one another, it's whatever it is, acts of service. I mean that you do whatever your spouse likes. You know, for those that have this love language of service, and it is like a language. Because if you have the uh, love language of gifts and your spouse tries to serve you, you don't feel loved as much. But if they get you something, then you feel like, man, you really love me. But if you don't figure this language out, like, I mean, if you go over to Mexico and you're trying to speak Spanish, but you really don't know Spanish, you're really not going to communicate. You can jack your jaws all you want, but you're not getting anywhere. I mean, basically, my Spanish comes down to, ¿Dónde está el baño? You know, uh, that's about it. And I know a little bit more, but not much. So I can't communicate very well a second language. So here's the reality of marriage. Literally, there's languages going on. For one of you, it's like the language is Spanish and the other one's English, and you're having a hard time, but you can master that language. Actually, gifts is one of the easiest love languages to get. 
Because you just got to get something and give it to the person. And so it's actually pretty easy to do that. Service gets a little harder because you've got to really think about uh, what the other person likes. And, you know, people with the love language of service, they like the phrase like actions speak louder than words. Their favorite memory verse that they put on their uh, bed or, or on their, above their bed is like, uh, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Or James, it says, you know, um, um, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. My wife actually has the gift of uh, or, or the love language of service. And when I go and I help her with whatever is going on in, her, in the household or outside of the house, she feels greatly loved. Then there's physical touch. So it's a really, uh, this is just uh, being tender and caring. This is interesting to me. I found this research found out uh, for child development that made this conclusions that babies that were held and stroked and kissed and nurtured developed a healthier emotional life and had less medical problems than babies at a young age that are left neglected without physical touch. God has hardwired us with these, uh, these characteristics that can help us understand how to express and show uh, love to one another. The fourth uh, love language is words of affirmation. Um, psychologist William James said that possibly the deepest human need in the world is the need to feel appreciated. You can say simple things like, hey, uh, you look great in that outfit. Or you could say, hey, I really appreciate how you're, uh, you've done a great job at work and accomplished those new projects. Or you do a, such a wonderful job with loving and, and caring for the kiddos. Words of affirmation build people up. And when there's an absence of words, it leaves the other person in question, especially if that person has a, a, a love language of words. They're wondering all the time, do you really love me? If you really love me, you would, you would tell me that. If you, if you really love me, you would tell me something that's going good. My daughter has a uh, the love language of words of affirmation. And it's so important for me to come around and just say, I'm really proud of you for working hard in school. When I say those kind of things, she lifts and has a different countenance about her. Words of affirmation are really, really important. The Bible says that the tongue has the power of life and death. You can breathe life with your words or you can bring death. You can literally destroy a person with your words. You've heard it said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words really do hurt, and words of affirmation are incredibly important to keep it personal. The last one is quality time. What I mean by that is undivided attention. I've gone out to the uh, restaurants here in this uh, shopping center, and I've seen couples are sitting there on a date, and they're just texting, just scrolling through Facebook. And I'm thinking, what a waste. What a, what a, what a bummer for that couple to go out and miss the quality time. Quality of time doesn't necessarily mean quantity of time. It means, are you emotionally, physically present? Are you engaged? Would you turn off your phone? Would you silence, uh, silence them and just give your undivided attention to your spouse? In doing that, that's giving quality time. Quality time uh, simply is spending time together really intentional. The fourth characteristic that we're going to see this morning is deepening love is to be protected. It's to be protected. In verse 6, she says, 
this, she makes this request of Solomon, and she said, would you place me like a seal over your heart? Would you like a seal on your arm? And she's using a simile here to describe a, uh, a metaphor of the kind of love that she wants. She wants a love that is to be protected. A seal in, uh, would be used to uh, demonstrate the authenticity and the genuineness of that object of value. So if you, you can see that when you um, see something, if it's uh, genuine, you see the, the it's, uh, you know, if you've got a baseball right now, spring training's going on, and you see you got a, uh, a baseball and it says genuine leather on a baseball. It's not synthetic, it's real. That, that uh, statement being made on that baseball shows you that it is a greater value than a synthetic one. When she says this right here, that Hebrew word is actually hatam, and it means the one placed uh, of great value, uh, attention, and genuine care. What she's saying is, I want you to protect me. I want you to value me above everything else. And she wants her love to be protected, her relationship with him to be protected. I thought about this. What can distract us or how can I deepen my love by protecting my spouse? On a personal note, um, you know, I think some of the things that we need to, in my household that I've got to protect our marriage from, sounds funny, but our kids. Not because our kids are bad or they are coming at us, you know, like we need to physically protect, uh, I need to physically protect Leslie, but I need to protect her time. I love my kids tremendously, but I love them behind my wife because the marriage is at the foundation of a family is a, is a marriage relationship. And if I don't protect that time, um, then I can, we can ha- have a, a kid-centered home where the child is at the center of everything. That bothers God, and it also bothers your spouse when you do it like that. Um, I must protect uh, my time with, uh, our, in our, for our marriage with our kids. What that looks like is to protect Leslie from the kids is that if they talk back or if they say something that's disrespectful, I protect Leslie from that. Pastor Randy spoke last week, and uh, he did a great job. And this week, we, we, every week, we have a, a Bible study uh, with our staff team, and we were going through this passage, and I said, Randy... How do you protect Dina from the kids? And he says, well, right now, it's funny that you say that, Ryan. Uh, my son has just recently moved back into the home. He's getting uh, readjusted and, and going to be uh, transitioning out, but he's with us for a short season of time. He's in college, and anytime he raises his voice or anytime he says something that's a little disrespectful or out of line or out of character towards Dina, my wife, I'll say to him, hey, son, don't talk to my wife like that. He doesn't say, hey, don't talk to your mom like that. He's letting his son know, I'm the protector of her. And that's my wife. And what you're doing is inappropriate. And so he went so far to say, as a, and as a, as a, a young man, it's a grace and a privilege that he gets to come back for a little bit. He's laid down the law and said, this is my house. And if you want to talk like that, you can go somewhere else. We need to protect each other. It could be from family members that have all sorts of opinions about how you raise your kids or about where you're moving or what job you take or what's going on in your life. 
And those family members can be incredibly critical and they just say, well, I'm just speaking my mind. I'm just letting you know what I think. Um, I'd be careful with that. If you've got a family member that's uh, overly critical and can uh, discourage or hurt your marriage or potentially divide your marriage, you need to be intentional to protect yourself from that. Lastly, on a personal note, as I've just observed North Valley, meaning you, in this area, is we've got to protect ourselves from work. You guys are a hardworking group of people. I love working with you. I love serving with you. I love seeing how you are so creative and you are so, uh, have such an, uh, uh, a hard work ethic. I see so many of you, and you're, you're very good at what you do. Um, but work can pull you away where it absorbs everything and leads, leaves you and renders you impotent, tired, exhausted. And if you don't safeguard yourself and protect yourself and have your spouse help you protect yourself with correct boundaries, then you'll find yourself becoming a distant form of roommates and not lovers anymore. Work is a great gift. The Bible says that God made uh, man and he put him in the garden to work. And Adam and Eve then had dominion over everything and they were to work and that's a blessing. But don't let it be a curse. It can be a curse when it destroys the very things that God's placed in your care to cultivate, and that is their marriage relationship. Protect. Deepening love is to be protected. The fifth thing that characteristic that we're going to look at this morning is deepening love is permanent. It's not temporary. It's something that you should look at with a sense of uh, uh, forever. When you said your vows to one another, you said till death do us part. Look what she says. She says, for love is as strong as death. What she means is it's permanent. You live and then you die. It's a permanent mindset that you need to have. Jesus said this in Mark 10, 9. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You need that kind of mindset that you're not to be torn apart, that you got to stay united that you've got to speak words that, that echo permanency and long-term. You don't need a contractual agreement for marriage. You need a covenant. You need a covenant that you make before God and you say, God, uh, I need your strength and I'm making this promise to you and to my spouse. It's a covenant. It's not a contractual agreement. It's not a prenuptial agreement. It's a permanent decision that you make. That kind of foundation will form a deep, long-lasting love. And where you err, you confess. And you get back on track and trust God for the results. When it comes to permanency in marriage, I want to encourage you never to use words like divorce. I want to encourage you to do things like um, when you get into a fight or you get and you have uh, some conflict in your household, Oftentimes what can happen is one spouse needs to kind of pull away and call for a timeout. That's healthy and that's helpful at times. The Bible says is that in your anger, do not sin. So when you get angry, you can easily sin. So sometimes it's helpful to call for a timeout. But if you just decide to get in the car and drive off and leave the other spouse wondering or you're coming back, you escalate the conflict. And you need to always communicate a sense of permanency of your marriage by saying something like this if you get into a conflict. You say, hey, even though we're having a disagreement or maybe we've been in a long season of conflict, 
I want you to know that I'm not leaving, that I care for you. And I, I don't even know how to apologize to you, and I don't even know all the problems that are wrong. I can't even figure it out, but I do need you to know I'm here, and I'm, I'm going to work this out with you. It may take a while. So you do that, and you, by doing that, what you're doing is you're laying down a foundation that's saying, when I said, till death do us part, a minute." You know, I watched my grandfather love my uh, grandmother with that kind of permanent love when she was ill. She became physically ill, mentally ill, and I watched my grandfather uh, persevere and express that permanency of marriage. Love, deepening love perseveres. She says this, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like the blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Uh, rivers cannot sweep it away. Like James Taylor says, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. And I, I you know, and, and so she, he, what she's talking about right here is that this unending love, it perseveres through the hard times, through the good times. It always perseveres. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, love never gives up, never loses faith. Have you lost faith? Don't lose faith. With God, all things are possible is always hopeful and endures through every single circumstance. I want to read to you this uh, story of a, a storyline of a couple, that uh, young married couple, and uh, the young lady was, uh, had a tumor in her cheek that needed to be removed. And it, after the operation, it left her uh, face disfigured. And the surgeon marks down in his uh, medical journal this story. He writes this. He says, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in a palsy clownish way, a tiny twig of facial nerve, the one of, that goes to the muscles of her mouth, unfortunately has been severed. She will be like this from now on. And I, the surgeon, had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. But nonetheless, to remove that tumor in her cheek, I had to cut that little nerve. Her young husband is in the room, and he stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me in private. Who are they? I ask myself. He, in this uh, wry little mouth, I have made... Uh, I have made who gaze at each other and love each other so generously and greedily. The young woman speaks out loud so I can hear her voice to me as the surgeon. And she asked me, will my mouth always be like this? She asked. I speak up with a knot in my throat and I say, yes, it, it, it will always be like that because I cut the nerve. She nods. Tear runs down her eye, and she is silent. The young man smiles, and he says, I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand, and I lower my gaze. One is not so bold in an encounter like this to experience the presence of God. Unmindful, the husband bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I am so close that I can see he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that the kiss still works. 
You know, the reality is, is love must persevere if it's going to deepen. Love is not based on outward appearance. It's a soul commitment. It's a caring for one another at a soul level of who that person is. That's how God has intended it. I want to invite the worship team up as we get going. But deepening love is closing out is priceless. It's priceless. She says this in closing, if one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. In other words, what she's saying is love cannot be bought. If you try to buy love or try to value money over love, you're a fool. In Psalms 36, 7, it says, how, precious, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. It is a foreshadowing, I believe, of the work of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy, the Bible says, he gave his, his life, that is Jesus, to purchase freedom for everyone. God's love is priceless, and he gives that to you and me. If we're going to deepen our love, we must understand the priceless love that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ. One of the best ways that you can get closer to your spouse is by getting closer to in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Walk with him. Feel and know the love of Christ. The closer you get to Christ, the closer you're going to get to each other. Christ is at the center when as a husband and as a wife, what you're to do is you're to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that passionate pursuit of knowing your Savior, you will experience that priceless love and be able to give that priceless love to one another. And the beauty about this is that if the husband makes it his ambition to say, I'll pursue Christ, I'll get to know him, I'll experience that priceless love that God has for me, then he'll actually be getting closer to his wife as she does the same thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. I pray now that your spirit would apply it as we sing our closing song about how you've paid it all and you've expressed a deep, priceless love for us. We thank you for this word and we pray that we'd apply it and walk in faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.